Hello everyone, I am the host uh, Deva Rangarajan, uh, who's a professor of B2B sales. Uh, today I have the incredible honor and pleasure of having uh, Mr. Kundavita, who is the managing director and founder of a company called Lead Fabric, which is one of the leading players in Europe that is looking at how to incorporate marketing and sales technologies in business to business organizations. And of course, he would not be here if you he just was selling these kind of technologies, but he also implements them and provides a lot of consulting and advice to those companies that truly want to take a look at transforming their marketing and sales organization as well. So Kun, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to talk to me and the audience as well. Huh? Yeah, thanks, Deva, for having me. Always enjoy our conversations. Um, so looking forward to the next uh, half hour. Absolutely. Cool. I, I want to tell you about how you came into my radar, right? So essentially, I think it was around 2016 or 17, and, and people were talking about marketing automation, and people were talking about uh, things like Marketo and, and, you know, HubSpot and stuff like that. And somebody, when I was in Belgium, said that you should talk to Kun Witte and Lead Fabric. And essentially, uh, he, they were talking about how you have been talking about some of these for quite some time. So tell me a little bit more about your experience, Kun. Why did you set up Lead Fabric? Uh, when did this idea about looking at the tech stack in the traditional B2B space come into your head? Tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah. Are you ready for it? Uh... Um, uh, going back in time, much more further than you think. I am. Uh, I think the fact is that indeed. So I think, of course, in the interest of time, of course, within yeah. what you have to say. But I think what you've learned in the past yes. has helped you navigate, and is going to help you navigate moving forward as well. So I think it would be a valuable lesson for all. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to take you back 20 years. So I was 10 years already in the business. I ended up somewhere in the United States running marketing for a tech company out of Austin, Texas. And every Monday morning, there I was, early 2000s, in the e-staff meeting, being confronted with a sales VP that was complaining about the fact I was not giving or my teams were not providing him with enough leads. And I came from Europe. And in Europe, we thought marketing is about product development and events marketing and printing nice looking brochures. That was it. And so here I was like, I need to do more and I need to kind of also start looking at revenue, not from how I enable it, but how do we become accountable for helping uh, revenue uh, grow? And at the same time, I got in contact with, with a company, a tech company that was uh, making or producing or developing marketing software. And we were talking to them because we provided a connector between what they were developing and the CRM records, CRM re uh, systems of records at the time. That was Zeeble, early 2000. Salesforce was a startup then. So we provided them with the connector. But I, I was interested because I said, tell me more about it, it's what they're doing because every Monday morning, I have this problem in the, in the boardroom. And so that company I'm talking about was Eloqua. So the ones that started the, the category called B2B marketing automation, which uh, you, talk, you just talked about. And so I had the fortune to kind of roll into the space in the very beginning, because all the other names you mentioned, HubSpot, Marketo, and Pardot, they all kind of only got uh, founded seven years later. So I was very, very early. So I rolled into this space because of a need that I that, that, that was being confronted with and an opportunity that I got because I got in contact with an enabling 
um, technology that helped address some of the pain points. And if we think about what it is already then we were seeing is that the reason why sales needed help from marketing and why demand generation became a thing that marketing needed to pay attention to was the fact that salespeople were no longer seeing all the movements that buyers were making because they were self-serving themselves in throughout their buyer's journey because they didn't trust salespeople and certainly not in the early stages of a buyer's journey because then buyers are looking for unbiased neutral information about their business problem and solutions and a sales rep has an agenda he wants to sell his product and there's a conflict there so for that reason buyers started discovering ah there is google i can start looking on my own i can go on social media i can start finding out what others other people think about the solution and sales reps were losing touch with buyers so we got started getting um, confronted with these type of new challenges and and that is where uh, it all started for me then a couple of years later when i came back to europe i started my own company started representing um, eloqua who wasn't present in europe and we grew the business from there that's basically how it started it's, it's interesting you talk about Eloqua because when I was at my at a business school when I used to work in Belgium and we actually wanted to have a, a sales competition and one of the first products the students had to sell was Eloqua and we actually had a demonstration of what Eloqua could do and it was completely eye-opening and now we are talking about 2015-16 so I'm there's been significant development since then but but in line with the fact that you've been around for 20 years right so essentially the fact that in the last 10 years, if we try and take a look at the work by Scott Brinker, right, and essentially how he talked about the MarTech, the marketing technology landscape, and essentially he went from maybe a couple of hundred, once you know, 8,000 plus, I don't even know what the new count is, right? Why has there been an explosion? And maybe the 8,000 are not all for B2C, B2B, sorry, yeah, there are a lot of B2C, but I'm sure there's an explosion in B2B as well. Why do you attribute this to this explosion in the last 10 years? For a couple of reasons. A, because it's easier than, than in the past to, to provide solutions to the market because of the SaaS delivery model. Yeah. Second reason is because none of these platforms we talked about solve all the needs. Hmm. Marketing is about communicating through various channels. And so these marketing automation platforms I talked about are very email centric. They rely on email and scanning web behavior, but that's it. But if you want to do decent digital marketing, there's so many more channels. So you need to, there's video, there's chats, whatnot, but there is also the, the analytics, the measurement. So there's a whole slew of functionality that these original marketing providers didn't solve. The third reason has to do with what you also mentioned, Eloqua 2015 and others, at some point in the life cycle, they got acquired. Mm -hmm. So Eloqua was the first one because they also were the first. They got bought by Oracle. Pardot, I mentioned, was bought mm -hmm. by Target six months later. Exact Target was bought by Salesforce. And I can go on. All of the others have been acquired. HubSpot is kind of the only one that is still independent. And whenever that happens, 
the innovation cycle stops. So most of these platforms didn't really evolve that drastically compared to the transition or the, the evolution mm -hmm. we went through in the early cycle. So that opened opportunity for MarTech vendors to start adding more functionality that builds on top of, an, of a platform that is whether Eloqua, Marketo, whatnot. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so that so is a combination of, of different things. Plus also, <laughs> this is kind of interesting, a lot of these, quite a few of these uh, MarTech vendors, whatever you're referring to, these point solutions, do only one thing, mm -hmm. but founded by a lot of people that came from the Oracle, the Eloquas and the market. Yeah. Yeah. And after they got sold, they got some cash, these people, and they, they chipped in their, their, their stock options and they started their own little MarTech software firm. So it's, I'm not saying that all of them, all of these 8,000 are ex yeah, yeah. but there's a pretty big important wave of people that started the early MarTech solutions that actually were employees coming out of that marketing platform uh, space. Kun, that's very interesting right? because now we are still talking about a product-centric or an entrepreneur-centric model, right? Uh, whereas uh, the more I go into these kind of piecewise, this particular technology, and by the way, it's MarTech, but now you can extend it to sales tech too, right? You can talk about sales enablement as a separate platform, then there is sales engagement, which is slightly different, you know what I mean? Yep. So the idea is that they break down parts of my sales process, mm -hmm. but where does the customer fit into this, right? Because I want to talk about two aspects here. So essentially, do you also see significant changes in the way the customer has changed their behaviors in the last 10 years? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think, and it's kind of funny because I was just talking about 20 years ago when I started getting confronted with that change buying behavior that in certain areas in certain industries this is still being presented as a fact that is new to certain people so we're talking about a, a, a time lapse of 20 years where the early adopters saw this problem early on and you have other industries where scratching the surface and my analysis is that initially marketing automation and all these uh, solutions saw daylight because they were trying to solve the needs of companies that needed to find new customers because they didn't have any. I'm mm. talking about the software companies that the tech up financial services, many of them except for the traditional banking uh, sector. So all of the positioning of these solutions was about acquisition. So that's also one of the reasons why in Europe we don't we didn't have at that time a lot of high-tech software companies. We were more traditional with cyclical industries and all that stuff. And so mm. most of the messaging around marketing automation and all that stuff didn't resonate because it was explained from a acquisition perspective and not so much upsell and cross-sell, which mm. is the same thing because whether it's an existing client or one that you haven't worked with before, the buying behavior is the same, right? Yeah. It's not because they bought from you before, they will keep buying. They get bombarded with all kinds of information coming from all sides around uh, solutions and, and, and problems that they will start finding their own solutions and not necessarily yeah. keep buying from you. So so that's something I've seen. I see, uh, and I see the early adopters from 20 years ago now getting, now already realizing that the marketing automation platforms have their limits, are not yeah. going to solve all the, all the problems that initially they promised they were going to solve. Remember when marketing automation was introduced, 
marketing departments were the only department that didn't have a platform. You had mm -hmm. ERP for the back office and supply chain for the warehouse and CRM for sales and you can, can keep going. Marketing didn't have anything. So when marketing automation vendors came in, they started promising, we're going to be that platform for you. And to a certain extent, they actually were, and they were able to kind of create change in the organization, marketing becoming accountable, measuring outcomes, learning from the outcome, improving the next step. Yeah. But at some point, we, we started realizing that in doing marketing automation, we simplified too much the game the playing field in our minds and we didn't realize there was stuff happening there's stuff happening in the buying process that marketing automation not necessarily is fixing we might be talking about that in the in the next coming minutes i'm talking about uh, account um, versus person and the way you engage with an account uh, marketing automation has a person-centric data model which means you're talking about individual persons and leads that you need to qualify and hand over while marketing actually should be looking at the account and buying propensity at the yeah. account level. Um, but for other industries, they never really did anything. They just had still marketing yeah. producing products and not and sales doing all the rest. Uh, these industries, uh, for a third reason, are now also looking at marketing automation. For those people, it's pretty new. And why are they? And that's just got to do with the demographic of the buyer. 20, mm -hmm. 20 years later, even in cyclical industries, traditional, very traditional industries, construction and, uh, and, and industrial automation, the buyers were kids yeah. or, 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 or toddlers 20 years ago. And so they have a different way of buying, um, of buying stuff. Um, and therefore also, we need to enable from a marketing perspective that buying process. Of you mentioned something, uh, Kuhn, that I think is very interesting. And this is not just what you said right now, but I, when I've seen you present as well. You talked about the buying propensity, right? I love this idea because you, when we talk about this, we do talk about the fact that there is a buying center in a complex B2B. The idea being that the more the size of your order, the more number of people involved. And you know, Gartner would put out these numbers like 5.4, which became 6.8, which became 9.4. And then you mentioned a number by Forrester uh, mentioning 11 to 15, right? But then your marketing automation is still based on personalized marketing, whereas a decision sometimes might not be necessarily made. Tell me a little bit more about what is happening in that space now, because that is an evolution in the customer, right? The customer now suddenly says more number of people involved and how has MarTech, and now I'm not restricting it to marketing automation, but how is MarTech or tech helping organizations deal with this idea of a buying propensity or organization-wide account-based approaches? Yeah, we are, we're actually at a very interesting inf uh, moment on the life cycle of MarTech right now, because I just mentioned that marketing automation, it's promised to be this one size fits all solution for the marketing department. We start realizing that never, that dream will never be fulfilled. I'm not saying marketing automation is, it didn't deliver on any of its promises. It did, but we now start realizing we need more. And why is that? Because of what we just discussed, the fact we have understood that the buying process is more complex and is becoming more complex. It, I'm, I'm, I'm excluding the transactional products because at the end of the Absolutely. day, that can, that's going to be going to e-commerce even yeah. without any uh, human intervention anymore. So I'm talking about the more complex um, solutions and problem sets in, in the B2B industry. Um, 
more and more stakeholders are involved because the solution becomes more and more complex and needs to and needs to respond to more and more requirements. I'm going to give you one example. I'm working for a client that has creating conference room solutions like speakers and headsets and all that stuff. You would think that buying a headset for a company is a, is a pretty transactional um, deal where procurement does most of the, mm -hmm. the buying. Well, in my dealings with that company, I learned that, for example, and they, they told me that four years ago, the persona called the chief security officer was not on the radar screen, nothing to do with headsets. And now yeah. he is. And why? Because of security, because of, mm -hmm. because of Bluetooth being not secure and because... So, so that's a good example of, exactly. of the buying process because of compliance reasons and regulations and all kinds of other uh, requirements is becoming more complex because more people need to have their say and whatever yeah. is bought needs to comply and correspond with requirements outside of the pure core functional requirements you were going after mm. of your problem. So so the buying process has become much more complex because because of that. And so if now you realize there are all these stakeholders in the buying process, which by the way, we've always known that buying in B2B was done by groups of people and not yeah. So if the problem is, and that's the problem many companies are trying to solve, if they feel marked, if sales is saying marketing, you're not giving me the right leads, then Indeed. the definition there, it's flawed from the beginning, because what is a lead? Is it that one person out of the buying committee that has filled out a form and mm -hmm. some stuff that you wanted them to do, i.e. click on an email or two and or go to a page or two, while you know there are like six other uh, members mm -hmm. of the buying committee you know nothing about, you have no clue who they are, and you also don't know whether they are responding to any of your tactics from a marketing perspective. Yeah. You don't know as a marketer who those five people are and what they're doing, and you claim success based on the fact you found one individual, then we have found over all these years that the chance that that one individual did, that you hand over to sales has a chance of less than 1% to become part of an opportunity that Absolutely. you Because you're just omitting the fact that it's more complex. So marketing needs to start understanding, oops, I don't need only to engage and score the engagement with that one individual. I need to figure out who the other individuals are. I need to engage with them individually based on their personal needs from the domain they're representing like the security officer or, or the yeah. HR person, because the HR person is another one with headsets, right? Mm. Burnouts, working from home, bad headset, people getting... Uh, so marketing needs to have all these conversations going on at the same time and trying to find out whether there's a buying propensity on an account level and not just that one person, because that one person, to go back to my example of that one person, might be clicking on everything that you send them because he's interested out of his curiosity or maybe mm -hmm. for a new position and new job and he's checking you out. So, 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 so marketing has to step up. And now here's a challenge, and this is to answer your question, the second part of your question. How is Martech helping with that? Well, that's what marketing automation with their lead-centric, person-centric model yeah. limitations. So what you now start seeing, so marketing automation needs to be fed with data. Mm -hmm. Data that that you that you bought traditionally for marketing automation is explicit data. Explicit data, I mean by that, data you can acquire 
like demographics, psychographics, <laughs> telephone numbers, all that stuff. Implicit data is the complement of explicit data. And implicit data is the data you can capture without the other side necessarily telling you anything, but it's by mm. his behavior that you can find out what he's interested in. Is he coming to your website? Is he not coming to your website? If he goes to your website, what is he doing? The problem with marketing innovation is that it only scans and measures implicit data on your own domains, your own first party uh, data. If no clue what these people are doing on other websites. And so before, and here's the thing, before when they start the buyer's journey and they're not even aware that you exist yeah. or that you can help them, they go elsewhere. They go to you, Deva. They go to the academics world. They go to industry analysts. They read articles. Yeah. So what you now start seeing is that there are solutions out there that in a certain way, and I can explain if, and I don't know, whenever you're interested, to kind of capture that intent, mm -hmm. the intent of buyers showing an interest in something, in a topic, mm -hmm. in a, another place. And now what you start seeing, there's solutions out there, companies like Sixth Sense, for example, that leverage intent data and that that match it with traffic on your own domains. Mm -hmm. And then tell you, we see unknown individuals. Yeah. These companies come to you that are very actively talking to your competitors, but have not engaged with you in the past. So here's an active segment. So here marketing, what you should now be doing is you start start penetrating mm -hmm. first advertisements to convert them. Once they're converted, then we go with email and all the other marketing channels we have to engage. Then we find out buying propensity and then we hand it over to sales. So that's the whole new um, world opening up because we <laughs> by only looking at behavior that you can scan on your own website, you're only looking at a very, very small fraction of all the behavior that you actually should be looking at. And that's I, opening a lot of new solutions and opportunities. Indeed, right? I think the fact is that that also kind of explains in the past why, despite marketing automation, when I mean marketing automation in the early stages, but still at least give you a little bit more of a qualified lead than before, thereby giving salespeople a lukewarm lead, right? As against picking up the phone and doing a cold call, I at least gave you something. But the problem, of course, was that later on when salespeople got used to it, they would always say, wait a minute, you got me this contact, but I've been in contact with somebody else within that company. And that person is more qualified. So essentially, the, the hard work that marketing brings in with the leads gets disregarded by sales because salespeople feel that the people that they are talking to is more important. But I guess what you're saying is that with new ways of looking at things, marketing can come and say, wait a minute, I am not surprised that you are contacting somebody else because our uh, for lack of with data like Sixth Sense is saying is that our marketing campaign attracted this person, but there could be other people who are looking at other things. Right. So here is what we want to give you, right? So it could be that I might not exactly know who is a person looking from the client's organization, but a salesperson equipped with the fact that, hey, I'm going to be talking to Kuhn. Kuhn downloaded a brochure, but my, let's say, Sixth Sense data is telling me that there are other people who have looked at the particular product They've looked at something else. So now I'm better prepared to ask the right kind of questions from a sales perspective, right? Because one of the things that I also want to kind of mention here is that there is a sales organization that's somewhere that comes in here, which then has to follow up on some of the leads, especially if we're not talking about complex buying, right? We're not talking about transactional buying where it can go to e-commerce and there's going to be no sales touch point. 
But I think that's something that hopefully you'll come back to us and give another session on that. But I want to ask in the interest of time, what would be some of your key takeaways to marketing leaders in B2B organizations when they are considering getting a tech stack? Yeah. First and foremost, never think that throwing tech at a strategy uh, challenge is going to solve anything. Yeah. Um, it's about first and foremost finding out what your challenges are and understanding your go-to-market. And it, there is a whole movement uh, right now happening where a lot of the practitioners and integrators and companies like mine are starting to realize that the starting point of marketing and sales, of course, is go-to-market. And in many companies, go-to-market is a static function sitting somewhere high in the ivory tower reporting to senior management but what they do doesn't translate to the field hmm. what is the icp the ideal customer profile what are the journeys they're going through maybe some people are thinking about journeys and there's the buyer's journey and there's the customer journey maybe with the recession happening there's going to be more focus on the customer journey because it's uh, we all know it's much uh, less expensive to keep a customer than to find the one you lost, the new one to replace the one you lost. But there is a there is a whole um, opportunity here to kind of to kind of look uh, at, at that. How can you make sure that you define your journeys and then create it in a model so that especially for global operating companies that they all in a uniform way use the model and then feedback information to that uh, go-to-market cell so that they constantly can improve the journey because the journeys constantly change everything right. changes so fixing that and looking at that and you don't have to overdo it but looking at do i really have a good idea about my ideal customer profile do i understand the journeys they go through do i understand the buying processes is it individuals or is it group of people that's Number one. Second one is what is the culture that we have in our organization yeah. around following process? Do we allow people because of prior success they had to kind of keep going and doing whatever they did? Or do we try to create a culture where we set goals and we start following certain processes so that we can scale them? Because they, one of the things that you might have, you probably have seen several times from a sales perspective is that in sales organizations, you see often a handful of people that have been around for a long time and they're really successful at what they do, but they completely ignore any rule. So CRM is not being filled out and all that stuff. So they might be creating short-term success for your organization, but they're you're hiring more people because you want to grow and these new people from one reason or another are not successful and they're holding you back. And the reason is, is because the successful people are not following any processes, are not delivering data back in a consistent manner. And so culture is super important here. Process, setting goal, setting, defining process and making sure people follow it um, is, is super critical for these solutions to work and add value. If not, they might at best create some tactical improvements and improve maybe a conversion rate somewhere in a, in a, in a funnel with uh what what whatever a couple of uh, percentages but that's all so the the real the real change is marketing and sales need to work together and in order to make that happen 
they need to make agreements but once you set agreements you need to also make sure that you follow them so that you can improve them because in the beginning when you're going to set this is a lead or this is an account we're going after and sales and marketing define this is indeed what we want to do but then you start executing and marketing like you were saying starts cherry picking the leads no sales start cherry picking the opportunities and leads they get because they have another idea what it should be marketing this that by definition is then spending time unnecessarily to certain for certain opportunities and leads for nothing because if sales don't follow up you might as well not even make the effort to go after these opportunities so we all understand we need to go after the opportunity because there's a reason that marketing is going after them because they know there is an intent there and there's an opportunity fixing that is not stopping marketing to do this type of hunting it's making sure that sales aligns with marketing and then does something with that information they're getting so it's culture and then you can start applying gradually technology to scale it and, and to yeah. help you get the unknowns discovered and, and the intent but throwing just a piece of technology at something and then saying well, let's the technology dictate how we need to change i've never seen that work um it's it's first thinking about the process and then technology. And I'm also not saying you should overthink it. There is methodologies agile, for example, that allows you to kind of progress in the development of your ICP and your personas and journeys and make and refine it and start with an MVP. And so once you have defined the MVP, the minimum viable product version of your uh, to go to market, then you can start bringing in technology and then you weave <laughs> fabric where you improve and the organizational side of things and, and the targeting with your processes at the, on the one hand and you bring in technology at the same time to scale uh, your operations. I know that's thank a long-winded answer, but it, no, it, no, no, no. Thank you, cool, for that. Yeah. You ex, you ex successfully proved again that marketing is as much has enough space for the creative people as it is for the process-driven people, and I think you need both together as well. I wanted to thank you again for taking the time and hopefully you'll come back once again and give us more insights into this idea of how buying propensity and companies like Sixth Sense are contributing to company personas even to that extent and actually helping organizations as well. So thank you all uh, for tuning in and thank you once again, Kun, for tuning in as well. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Bye.